All right, uh, just a few introductory remarks, and then I want to read the chapter, and then we'll go from there. Um, if, if you think about the book of Revelation, we have Jesus uh, revealing himself to John, uh, giving these seven messages to these real churches in what is now Turkey, right? Uh, actual messages with, with uh, geographical, historical specificity. Jesus knew the Christians in Laodicea, Pergamum, Philadelphia. They had different issues, and he addresses them because he knows what's going on, knows what they needed to hear. Chapters 2 and 3. Then in chapter 4 and 5, John has a vision of heaven, doors open to heaven. There's a throne, and there's one seated on the throne. We sang about it just this morning. Rainbow, living color, all that, thunder, all that. He has this uh, Ezekiel-inspired vision of God on the throne. Okay? Uh, And then in chapter 5, there's a lamb standing as if slain. And that lamb is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that's not so supposed to be trite. That is supposed to be a powerful image of a conquering hero, that lion of the tribe of Judah. Messianic expectation. He's the one that's going to come and set it all right. Uh, there was this eager enthusiasm. Uh, for the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's like when the MVP is back off of the injured reserve list and back in the game. He's going to win it for us. Um, and so that the, the, the lamb who was slain, who was also that lion, takes that scroll out of God's hand. And that scroll is what God has to say about things as they were and were going to be. And so Jesus, the, the lion lamb, breaks open those sevens. It's, it's all sealed up. Nobody can know what God has to say except for his son. So he breaks those seals up and unrolls that scroll, which has writing on both sides of it, again, inspired by a vision that Ezekiel had about God with the scroll. Unrolls that scroll, and then what do we hear? We hear judgment raining down on earth. Uh, The four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, as these seals are open, uh, the seals give way to seven trumpets that blow warning that God in his wrath is coming. And so wake up and pay attention. Uh, And then God's wrath is completely satisfied with these seven Seven is the number of completeness. These bowls of God's wrath that are poured out on the earth. Then after those bowls, we're, at, we're, we're ready for takeoff. We're set, or maybe landing is a better metaphor, but uh, we're at the end of the book. And that's where we are now. We're at, the, we're at the, like the last lap of the book of Revelation. And there are two compelling visions, and we're in the first one right now. And we started it last week in chapter 17, where we have this, I don't know how to describe it, shockingly alluring, uh, astounding vision of this drunken, affluent prostitute 
all decked out. She's drunk on the blood of the saints. And she's sitting on this multi-headed beast. Now, I was just talking to Bob Wood about that. There's a prostitute sitting on a beast. And the beast is like a leopard. Okay, So it's a predator. It's a powerful predator. It's a multi-headed predator. And the heads are kings. Kings who ruled armies and governed nations. So think about this for just a moment. Rome now, uh, Assyria falls to Babylon, falls to Persia, falls to Greece, falls to Rome. Alexander the Great. The Caesars. Now, the Roman Empire, right, has spread all around the Mediterranean. Uh, Arabia, Africa, Spain, all around the Mediterranean. Rome had conquered through their Roman armies, okay? Uh, Military power had conquered the world. But Rome... Because of their military power and the Roman roads, right, their, their transportation, Pax Romana, the era of Roman peace, it was, it was a pretty good time if you were a king in some small area and submitted yourself to Roman power. You became part of this great Roman empire. But the Roman Empire survived by wars out on the frontiers. Like, it never made the headlines, but out there on the frontiers, Roman soldiers, sometimes slaves who had been, uh, you know, conscripted from Africa and, and other places, were wearing Roman uniforms, and people were dying out there on the frontier, shedding their blood to maintain Roman power. The Roman military political machine was working very well. Rome began to import goods from all over the world. And that's the burden of this chapter today. And and so people were seduced to give what they had, spices, minerals, materials, natural resources... They gave what they had to fuel this Roman Empire. Just like a young man would give of his pay to satisfy his physical lusts with a prostitute. That's the image. They're they're a whoring after what Rome had to offer. Now, don't just think of it as sexual and, and, you know, like lustful, physical, sexual. It was also a spiritual metaphor for people, God's people in the Old Testament, who were part of God's covenant, but they always had this appetite for something other than God. And God sends the prophets saying, you people are so spiritually lustful, you're always ready to get in bed with some pagan god. That's the image. That's what's happening here. So this economic prosperity, this amazing wealth of of material affluence was sitting on an empire who had military and political power. Does that make sense? Does that help you understand the the this whore on this beast? Okay? 
Financial prosperity, uh, you're going to see it in just a moment. I hope it shocks you as it has me. Uh, Unbelievable prosperity riding on military political power. Is that okay? Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Uh, So, in chapter 18, uh, according to one guy, we have one of the more striking moments in all of Scripture. One of the more striking moments in all of Scripture. Uh, uh, John announces the ultimate demise of Rome. Now, think about this. John is one guy. He's in exile out on an island. One little man on an island But the sovereign God of the universe has revealed truth to this single, solitary individual. And that individual now, you know, eagerly writing, maybe right-handed, is is foretelling (laughs) the doom of the entire Roman Empire from a little island out in the ocean, in exile, in prison. He's foretelling the doom of the Roman Empire. Can you imagine what Nero would have said? What Caesar would have said had they had an opportunity to read this? Can you imagine the scoffing ridicule that would have been poured out on John? But sometimes individuals, when they are communicating the truth of the sovereign Lord of the universe are a majority. There was a guy born in Nazareth, and he went around claiming to be the Son of God and talking about a kingdom. And the big muckety-mucks in Jerusalem, it infuriated them. And they killed him. But he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. He didn't stay dead. And now this kingdom is spreading all over the world. 2,000 years later, Germantown, Tennessee, here we are saying, yeah, Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. Hey, where's Caesar? Oh, yeah, dead for 2,000 years. Okay, so that's the setup, all right? Got the ball all teed up, and now we're ready maybe to read chapter uh, 18 of Revelation. Now, uh, look at, you have the text in the notebook that I have for you, the white piece of paper with the text of Revelation chapter 18 on it. You're looking at that, okay? If you do have that and you are looking at it at this point, I didn't set it up, I made a little mistake. But uh, in verse 1, you see in bold print, after this, John, after what? After chapter 17, you doofus, it's in order. Uh, After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. From heaven coming down to earth. All right, you see that in bold. You see that, all right, verse 1. Now, look at verse 4 in bold. Then I heard another, another voice from heaven saying, and there's a long speech that runs all the way through verse 20. And then when you look at verse 21, I I should have put this in bold. Uh, Maybe I did in yours, I don't know. But uh, then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone. You've seen those maybe if you've been to Israel. You know, it'd be this thick. It'd have a giant hole in the middle of it. It would be grooved and animals, you know, horses or mules would go around in a circle, roll this mighty stone. This angel takes a great millstone and throws it into the sea. Can you imagine? Big splash. And then he's got a speech. 
Those are the three parts of this chapter, these three voices coming from heaven. Now, which section is the biggest of those three? Yeah, it's in the middle, all right? This is very, very common in Scripture. There's a, it's like a sandwich, okay? There's a bread, piece of bread in the first part, piece of bread in the second part, and then there's a bunch of meat right in the middle. Now, look at this middle section. Uh, there's, there's the voice from heaven, and there's things are being said. Verse 9, do you see this? The kings of the earth are speaking. Uh, verse 11, the merchants of the earth, the businessmen, all these movers and shakers, all these brokers of, of all these resources that were dealing with Rome all around the Mediterranean basin, people from Africa, people from Arabia, people from India, people from China, all of these people making deals with, with Rome in Italy, okay? Uh, the merchants of the earth. Uh, now, do you look at the end of verse 17 in bold. All shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea. So the merchant marine, those captains, you know, like Tom Hanks on that big cargo boat that got attacked by the Somalians, you know, he, he's mentioned, not really, but uh, that's the kind of thing. These captains in these ports that they'd load all this stuff on these ships. These ships would leave these ports. They'd make their way into the Mediterranean, up the coast, to, to, and these, all these products were streaming into Rome from literally, literally all over the world. All this stuff streaming into Rome. Uh, all right. Now, what I did with the help of this New Testament scholar, uh, who was also a scholar of the first century, you can, it's amazing. You, you, you could Google Pliny, P-L-I-N-Y. You ever heard of Pliny, Richard? Tacitus, uh, Suetonius, Strabo, Richard's probably read, have you read those guys? Maybe taught classes on them? Some of those guys. From, you, you can Google it. You can read it for yourself. I was reading some of this stuff. Pliny has this book. You can order it on Amazon. It's called Natural History. This is really interesting to me. Pliny, I don't know anything about him. Uh, I may have some biographical tidbits in the notes here, but uh, he's talking all about wood minerals, animals, all this stuff, natural history. That's what he's writing about. But what he's saying is Rome is importing all of this stuff from all over the world, and it's wrecking everything. Elephants are going extinct in Syria because fat cats in Rome want to have solid ivory leopards supporting their tables that they've made from a single tree that they cut down and shaved all up. And we'll, we'll get, we're going to get into this here in just a second. Uh, but, but you can read about this, and the point of it is John in this chapter, you know, so much of this in Revelation is all symbolic. It's weird. It's not natural to us. It's that apocalyptic literature that we've been talking about. But here in chapter 18, it's pretty clear. John, and this is part of what Revelation is. It's written in these different genres. John kind of leaves apocalyptic behind, and he becomes one of these thundering, uh, 
foaming at the mouth, fire-breathing prophets. And he's saying, Rome and everybody who sucks the life juice out of Christians and others through Roman affluence, you're going down. It's prophetic. And right in the middle of this, uh, beginning in verse 12, he talks about cargo. 28 items that are as real as some of the stuff in your homes. John mentions 28 items that Rome was importing into their culture in that day to say, you got to decide who you love and who you're going to serve. You're going to be part of the bride of Christ coming down from heaven, or you're going to be part of that, you're going to be consorting with that harlot riding on that beast in chapter 17. Okay, uh, let's read the chapter. So three parts to it, big fat part in the middle uh, with all these people. And this whole chapter is about, he's calling Rome Babylon from the Old Testament, calling Rome Babylon, and he, it, this is a funeral dirge. John is riding on Patmos, and he's saying, this empire that you all love so much is going to die. That's what he's saying. All right, let's read it. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Have you seen a picture of modern-day Babylon? That's exactly what it is. It's a desert ruin. For all nations, why? Why is Rome falling? Rome called Babylon. Why? Because, verse 3, all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. They're wanting to, this is metaphorical, they're wanting to have sex with the Roman Empire. They're willing to give what they have to get what Rome has to offer. We're talking material affluence. But behind that material affluence is spiritual idolatry. What does Paul say? Greed is idolatry. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Okay? All right. Uh, all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and all the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped at high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. You hear what's happening here? She's getting what she gave. Justice is being done to the Roman Empire. As she glorified herself and li lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, 
and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. You might want to underline that. You're going to hear it again. Plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine. You see that three times? That, that threes. This is coming in threes. And that uh, repetition uh, was designed to communicate this judgment that was falling on Babylon. Uh, she'll be burned up with fire for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. That's what this chapter is about, judge. You might want to circle that word. All right. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Now, here's the list. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, Cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet. Consult chapter 17, verse 4, and see that the harlot was clothed in the same clothing. Uh, Adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste." Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. 
That's the word of God. Uh, it's John's judgment against Babylon. Now, uh, you can look at the notes here, and you can read. I, I didn't take the time to to dig comments on every one of those 28 articles, but if you just read some of those notes, there are sometimes actual quotes from people in the first century when those seven churches were, were extant, okay, uh, who were talking about Rome's consumption of stuff was so over the top. One guy bought a table made of this special wood that cost the price of a small estate. He paid for one table. Another guy owned 500 tables with ivory legs. 500 Romans loved diamonds more than pearls, but they would pay any price for a big, fine, I don't know how big, a, a large pearl. Would, they'd pay more money for a big pearl than anything else. They loved pearls so much that they would get together and get drunk in banquets, and then they would take these pearls and dissolve them in vinegar and drink them for the, for the shock and the adrenaline spike of consuming so much wealth in a moment. Nero's second wife, her name was like Papia, and she wanted the mules that pulled her chariot to have solid gold horseshoes. When she died, Nero brought, I don't know if it was myrrh or frankincense, it's in the notes. <laughs> they got it from Arabia. The amount of whatever it was, let's say it was myrrh, the amount of myrrh that Arabia could produce in a year, Nero bought and used that in the single event on a single day for his second wife's funeral, a year's worth of aromatic myrrh from Arabia. You, you read the notes. It it will blow your mind. Now, we have brass in our house. It's fake and my wife hates it. She wants oil rub bronze instead of uh but back then they had the real thing. We we all want to get granite countertops. There was one guy, and, and Pliny talks about it. He's the first guy. He was a military guy. He fought in France, uh, and he, he's the first guy to basically cover his entire house in marble. And they debated. Politicians would debate about their cost of living going up, 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 because Rome was achieving more and more and more prosperity. I mean, it's beyond any palace that you'll see here in Germantown, way beyond it. The stuff that we aspire to have in our homes, again, are cheap imitations of what they actually had. Gold, solid gold plates. Solid gold plates. They had to outlaw that finally. All this wood veneer all, all, is just extravagant. Okay, that's just kind of interesting historically. But here's the thing, friends. Um, all of that, maybe y'all saw the movie Blood Diamond. Maybe you know what a blood diamond is. 
there's a lot of stuff that, that our country consumes on the backs of people who are being used and abused because of that. So, I'm, this is no like anti-capitalist, anti-materialist. This is not that. But what it is, is a call to, uh, this chapter calls us to have what we have thankfully, humbly, and to recognize the tendency of stuff to woo our hearts away from God. And only you can know if what you really want is stuff or if you really love the triune God who has revealed himself to us through his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. It's a call for us. It's a check for us not to care so much about the stuff of the world and to recognize that the one who created it all, all of these continents with all of this amazing wealth, some of you have been to Europe, uh, Brashers aren't here, they, they, were, they just saw a place, and I forget the story of it, my dad was in Spain, a lot of this stuff came from Spain, he saw this castle that had so much gold in it, 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 it almost physically made him sick. Uh, the, the Catholic Church, I don't know the facts, but they have so much gold, solid gold bullion, the Medici Empire in the Middle Ages, you, you haven't begun to conceive of the wealth that some of these places had, again, on the backs of, of poor people who are being exploited. The kingdom of God teaches us not to plow the corners of our fields, but to leave them so that the poor and the alien and the immigrant can scratch out a living by working with their own hands. Nehemiah busted the people of God for selling all this stuff on the Sabbath, violating the Sabbath, and letting commercialism take over the worship of God. God intends for us to work six days and then to leave that behind and enjoy Him on a day where we do no work. And how that all works out in practical life, I understand the, the challenges and the difficulties there. But this book talks about a great multicultural multitude around the throne from every kingdom and tribe and nation. Black Africans and Indians and people from Arabia, and all of these people standing on the same level around the throne. Not front rows full of VIP fat cats who have paid thousands of dollars for a ticket. No, that's not how the kingdom is supposed to be. Not communism, which is just a facade of hypocrisy, but, but this genuine peace and regard for everybody. That was not how Rome was. And, and God says, it's, it's going down. Uh, so who do you love? Uh, don't become so conformed to the culture around you that you fit into it without even thinking. That you rush to get the first and the best of everything. Because you can. Rome, that culture was so full of that. Uh, 
above all of that stands the one who created it all and left the riches and glory to become poor so that we could share in those eternal, infinite riches in glory in Jesus Christ. Those are the ones that don't perish. The treasure in heaven is the treasure that doesn't burn up, that you will be with forever. None of this stuff here can you take with you. That's a long time. Sorry, it took so long. More we could say, but uh, uh, let's close in prayer. So, Lord, uh, this is a message that's directed to each one of our hearts. Father, we are all guilty. I am guilty of wanting stuff instead of you. And if it weren't for you and for your grace and for you coming and dying in my place, giving your son for me and opening my eyes and my heart by your undeserved grace, I'd be going down with them. I I would be headed for hell uh, with all the people in this chapter. But for you, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you set it all aside for the joy set before you, that, that you left it all in order to capture a people and establish a bride and an eternal kingdom. May, may that thrill us that we have been loved to that extent. And may it create a bit of apathy about the stuff of this world, uh, lest we be uh, spiritually deceived. We pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen.